Thank you for tuning in to Humble Hermeneutic, a Jew 3 Project podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Jew 3 Project and is made possible by generous supporters like you. If you would like to become a monthly supporter of the Jew 3 Project or give a one-time gift, you can do so at Jew3Project.org. Or you can take our online courses or get our curriculum at Jew3Project.org as well. And we also have merch available. I hope you enjoy this episode with Yana Connor and Dr. Cynthia James. And I hope that you develop a humble hermeneutic. Hey, friends. Um, welcome back to Humble Hermeneutics. Um, I am your co-host, uh, Yana Connor, and I am here with Dr. Cynthia James. Um, and so if you were with us last time, we had a conversation about uh, Vashti in the book of Esther. It was a really great <laughs> conversation. And now we're going to be transitioning to uh, talk a little bit more about Esther, right? Because the book is is titled Esther. So um, we want to talk about Esther as well. And so as we know, Esther is a Hebrew woman um, who was being raised by her uncle, uh, Mordecai. And um, I love how in uh, chapter two, verse one, it says sometime later after King X made this decision um, about displacing Vashti, that his his rage had cooled down and he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decided against her. And it's almost like the author is saying like he has some sort of sense of of regret and, and sadness about what he did. And so because of that, his personal assistant says, hey, King, let's go go ahead and get you a new wife. And so they conduct this search and uh, all of the women are gathered. Um, and and Esther is one of the women that's gathered, gathered. And one of the things that her uncle Mordecai tells her is, hey, don't let anybody know you're a Hebrew. <laughs> like keep that information to yourself. Um, and so Esther goes into this process of beautification and all of this. And uh, she gains a favor with um, uh, the the guy uh, uh, who is supervising this this whole whole thing. And I love it because here she is, is in this place that she didn't plan to be in, but God gives her favor even in the midst of that. And Esther, you know, being the woman that she is, she tells she asked the supervisor, like, hey, like, what do I need to do in order to please the king in order for this to go well with me? And so um, her turn comes and she goes to uh, spend the night with uh, the king. And uh, and that goes well, so much so that she becomes the new queen of, of this kingdom. And um while that's happening, the book shifts to Mordecai and how Mordecai uh, finds himself at the, the city gates, the king's gates. Um, and he is he overhears uh, two of the king's eunuchs having a conversation about how they are plotting to kill the king. And so Mordecai uh, gives the king uh, a heads up that, hey, these two guys are planning on killing you. And because of that, um, this is recorded in the historical record in the king's presence that Mordecai has done this great thing on the king's behalf. However, also while Mordecai is hanging out at the king's gates, uh, there is a, a, a man named Haman uh, who is an honored 
uh, guest of the king uh, who who comes by uh, uh, the king's gate. And there's a decree that's out that all of everybody is supposed to bow to Haman when he comes by. And Mordecai is like, no, I'm not about that life. I'm not bowing, <laughs> you know, to Haman. Um, and commentators are, are unsure as to why Mordecai makes this choice. But he's like, I'm just not going to bow um, to this man. And so Haman, who is filled with so much rage, uh, makes a decision uh, to uh, try to have this, have Mordecai and his complete ethnic group uh, killed. Um, like he sees them um, as despicable people. And because of Mordecai's choice, he's like, hey, I, let's just kill, kill all of them. And so he goes to the king, has a conversation to the king with the king about uh, this and says, hey, you know, there's this people group and they don't really respect you. Um, they don't, you know, they have their own God. And, you know, I don't think it's in your best interest like to have them around. And so um, let's just pick a day, you know, like just kill them, <laughs> kill them all off. And the king who once again, if you remember from last time, we talked about how the king is always about his ego, right? Um, he says, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Let's just go ahead um, and do that. So an edict goes out throughout um, the, the entire uh, city. And when Mordecai learns about this, uh, the Bible says that he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. Um, he is literally putting on a protest. He is lamenting in the streets and he even goes as far uh, to the king's gates. But he stops there because he knows that uh, the law prohibits anyone who has on sackcloth and ashes to enter into the king gates. Esther gets word that Mordecai is out in these streets protesting. Um, and she sends her handmaid, or she sends one of her um, uh, servants to inquire about why he is in the streets doing what he's doing. And to, to she even sends some clothes, like Mordecai, put some clothes on, man. Like you are, you are making a spectacle of yourself. Um, and so Mordecai, you know, sends a message back to Esther, like, hey, you can keep those little clothes. Um, an injustice has happened. And uh, if you think that you are not going to um, have to uh, suffer along with all of Israel, you're, you're lying to yourself. Um, and he calls her to action saying like, what if for such a time as this, God has placed you in the kingdom to do something? And so Esther calls a fast among the people for for three days. Um, and and then from there, she gets the courage to go to the king on behalf of her people. Um, and so I'm going to stop there because that's a really, really long <laughs> um, summary. Um, Dr. Cynthia, what would you what would you add um, to to this story? Well, I dropped one of my Bibles because you're bringing out things I didn't know were in the story. Um, <laughs> but it, it made it fascinating all over again. And every time you read Esther, there are new levels to it. Mm -hmm. um, what would I add? Uh, th there's so much, I tried to write down a couple words as you were talking. You, uh, memory, you began with talking about how uh, Exertes, he's called Ahasuerus in the King James, but we're talking about the same person. NIV calls him by another name. We call him King X. Remembers Vastai, which lets us know she's really still in the picture. 
And I think she looms in the background through the rest of the text, even if she's never mentioned again. I think she becomes a model at some point, uh, internalized and maybe even incarnated in Esther. So mm -hmm. I think Esther transforms into a bit of Vastai, that it's not just the king remembering her, but it is letting us know as a reader, at least that's the way I like to look at it, this is not factual by any means, that what she has done has longevity to it. She's not really dismissed. Now, mm -hmm. Then I think that idea of, th of memory becomes important, whether it's chronicled and they have to go back to a written memory to see what was done, uh, you know, what was uh, the rescue that was made, whether it is uh, Mordecai saying to Esther, who is his cousin? Is that right? I always want to say his, his niece. Uncle. His uncle. Okay. Oh, uh, Esther is, is Mordecai. Anyway, that's his relative. And she mm -hmm. was a, he was a surrogate parent for her. But he when he says, who knows, but if you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this, that to me is also kind of a uh, a nod to memory, like Vastai's being remembered. So there's there's this written memory, there's this divine memory uh, that's coming present, there's this chronicled memory. So I think the whole idea of remembering, which is so central in Christianity, remember the Lord thy God, from the Shema of mm -hmm. Israel to our communion services and memory. So um, I love it because it has begun with this outrageous party, the book of Esther. And now it comes around to talking about deliverance and deliverance and liberation for a people are tied to memory, memory of what came before, who came before, memory of who we are, who we're called to be, and a memory of what our future is set to become. Um, so that, in terms, you asked me what would I add? The other thing, um, we didn't quite get there, I don't think. Um, we were talking before about the king and his ego, I think, in a previous time. So we, this man, Haman, by chapter three, I didn't remember that he was a, a visitor, but by chapter three, he's been promoted and advanced, and he's above all the other princes, which reminds us of all those little yaysayers uh, in chapter one who um, I, I picture them, oh, it's a terrible phrase. I say this, I picture them as, I, I just, I better say, stop with just saying yes, men. But they're just around the king, echoing what they think the king wants to hear. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's this feeling in chapter one that they, because the author goes through so much to say there are nine of these and 10 of these. He gives all the details of the people and their rank, just like he does the ornaments and the palace. So now, Haman has like at the top of the barrel, he's risen above the rest of the crabs. He is above all the princes, all those people who were at the party. He's top dog. He's head honcho. I could think of some less nice words. He's there. So he has an ego that's like the king's, but we're not male bashing because Mordecai has, is, is the very contrast of that. So we're not locking this into uh, all the women have to be like Vastai or all the women to be like Esther. We And I appreciate the inspiration of the writer, the narrator for giving us contrast within gender of how they look at things. The other thing um, that came to my mind, let's let, let's just get down to it. We, we're a few minutes into the show. Esther was good in bed. Okay, that's how she got where she was. You know, you know, I, I, I just don't know how any other way to say it. She, she starts off very passive. You know, she didn't volunteer for this. 
or, or I guess her uncle or cousin or whatever, Mordecai put her in the position. They're giving her all these beauty baths and skin treatments and pedicures and all that. And then it talks about um, she obtained, verse nine of chapter two, she obtained kindness, which is a shift in activity from passivity so she was going along with it. Like, this feels good. Fan me a little more. You know, do something else to me. She obtained it. So there's some, some effort on her part to go along with the program of winning the beauty contest. And what does she have to do? She has to make the man happy. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know how to fix it up. She's not <laughs> there because of her intellect. She's not even there because of her beauty. She's there because she is good in bed. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I, what can I say with that? I, I can say more than I should say, but let's be honest. Um, does she climb up the ladder on her back? It suggests that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not. Uh, it's fortuitous that she does since she becomes the deliverer for her people. Mm -hmm. um, did she choose that situation? No. Did she cooperate with it? It appears that she did. So whether it's women that get caught in sex trafficking whether it's women that find themselves in abusive relationships and look for a way to work it to their good, whether it's women that are demeaned, hopefully not physically, mentally, and emotionally, I'm not suggesting endure that, but I am suggesting that sometimes we find ourselves in places that we didn't intend to be and that the very thing that we move forward on may not be the characteristic or the trait of merit. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes women can get positions uh, African-American women, black women can get positions in, in my day that sometimes were closed to black men because one was seen as less of a threat. That's, that's not something to boast about, um, but it appeared to be a function of what was happening early in the 50s and 60s. If affirmative action had a slant to it, if I have to take one of them, I'd rather take that one than take this one. And mm -hmm. so we have to be mindful about what is working in a situation. Mm -hmm whether it is to the disadvantage of others or whatever. But um, I told you, I heard that message where she was called a tramp and that just blew my world. I'm like, who could call Queen Esther a tramp? But she she was a little, you know, she didn't, she didn't set the system, but she played it. She played it. She had, is that word hoochie? Um, you, don't, you don't know that word, but she had a little something going on in there that was pleasing to him. Now, am I putting her down totally? For being satisfying a male in her life? Absolutely not. Been married 51 years and he ain't totally unhappy. But I'll leave it at that. But um, th there, there are some, there are a lot of things in the text. Her, her uncle, uh, who I think is her cousin, but nevertheless, Mordecai has basically told her to pass. You know, don't tell people who you are. Is she passing? Uh, is, what does this say to us about pretending to be who we're not when identity is the thing we got to work on? Um, it's just a whole lot in here that I love. It's like kneading dough in every way I knead it. I get another image. I get another impression. And they're all, uh, they don't have to be conclusive. So I think you asked me what would I add? That's more than you want me to add. But things about memory, things about um, identity, uh, liberation, about dissembling, you know, hiding who we really are, uh, the power of, we talked about power. In, in the last chapter, but the relationship between sex and power is unbelievable. 
because she gets the power in my mind because of the sex. Okay. I'm not telling anybody to go become whatever. Don't go to the extreme. Think you're going to get some power. You might end up with a disease and not power. But um, I, I want us to look at the text honestly, because there are people who, because of whatever, blonde hair, blue eyes, or whatever, shapeliness or none, they, they are put out at the front as the image, uh, whether it's in media or in other places. And I think as men and women, whether it's men being put up because they look like a, you know, whatever, what do you look like? Six pack. I don't even know what they what you call a man, but they look very buff. Um, we, we have to know exploitation when it comes, even if it appears to be to our advantage. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Esther lives in a particular time period, right? And she's in a, in a, in a certain situation and she is making the best of it. You know, she is, um, she knows that she can't get out of it, right? And so she's 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 seeking to make the best uh, of of the situation, which is why she consults. Wait, let, me, let me okay. Let me. I know I took a lot of time. She's making the best of it, but she got comfortable with it. She got deluded absolutely. in it. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Which is why Mordecai confronts her and says, "Hey, if you think you're safe, you know, if you think you've arrived." And then you're not going to, you know, have to to endure suffering with us like you have completely fooled yourself because there is a God who mm -hmm. is supreme over all of this. And he will he will hold you accountable for what you do and for what you don't do. Um, and, and I think that's what's interesting, because like this this passage is about an unjust edict that has gone out. And as as people, as humans, we are accountable for what we do and what we don't do when it comes to matters of injustice. Yeah, we can live in this system. We can think that we're all, you know, good and safe and whatnot, but in 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 God's economy, the God who sees us all, like no, you're not you're not safe. Like God will ultimately hold you accountable for how you respond to um injustice and I love how Mordecai like comes for her like that. And, and yeah. it's, it's a movement, right? Because he's he first he tells her, hey, don't let anybody know you 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 a Hebrew. <laughs> don't let nobody know that you're a Jew. And now he's like, no, now is the time for you to let people know who you are. Um, because you have been placed in a in a you are in a place of uh influence and power where you can shift what happens, you know, you can shift the outcome of what happens. And so leverage, you know, yeah. this position that you have. Um, for for the good for the good of your people, um, which is interesting because I you know I grew up in a time where I grew up in a time. <laughs> Don't worry, a I recent a recent time. You can look back. <laughs> but you know, like the objective for my family was you know for me to get to get an education and to get out the hood. You know. Um, and to uh, gain wealth and to live a comfortable life, right? My my mom and my grandmother didn't want me to have to go through what they went through, um, and so their their goals for me was, you know, that I would live in a particular kind of neighborhood, that I would have a particular kind of job, you know, um, and that in a sense I would I would do better than than they did. Um, and 
I, I'm sorry, I just got finished reading C.T. Vivian, but, but the second objective for the civil rights movement was to involve the black middle class because they had kind of gotten to a place where with, like Esther, they thought, hey, we don't have to really deal with that. You know, uh, that's not really our issue. Uh, we we have our own businesses. We, you know, have money. We live in a home. You know, we have uh, achieved a level of security and safety where we don't have to identify with the struggles of of black people as as deeply um, as as those who don't have the wealth that we have. Um, but could it be that God has allowed us to obtain this wealth and this education and X, Y, and Z so that we could be a conduit of God's grace and liberation um, to those in our community who, who still need to be uplifted, right? Um, and that's what we see here in Esther is, is like, hey, come out of hiding, <laughs> you know, and 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 leverage what you have and who you are for the good of of your people. So, um, let, me, let me interject something if yeah. it's not cutting you off too much. Um, I think we all resonate with the uh, wishes of a generation that wanted us to have less pain and fewer obstacles than they had. And that that can be a burden as well as a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fifties, you can't imagine the fifties, but when I was in the fifties, as uh, so I was born in the forties, um, that burden of uh, the race was everything you did. If you went to the store, it's you represented the race. If you went to school, is how you went to school. If you were asked the question, it was how you spoke up. So the 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 race was always on your back and tied to your legs. And it was with dignity and pride. You can't afford to do that because we have to make a statement of who we are, that we are as good or better than, that we're more than they attribute to us, which is a good thing, but it's also uh, I think a symptom of our of the sickness in our society mm-hmm. um, that that we sometimes have to. I'm not talking about doing well because of our parents' investment, but but that larger uh, spotlight that is never off that that mm-hmm. uh, center stage that is never off that your that your deeds may be evaluated not just for you but for others who mm-hmm. uh, it will reflect on. And that has that has done a lot um, of good, and I think we need to look at what harm it may have done, if any, if any, uh, to to our psyche. But moving on, um, she is in a place of luxury. But what's interesting to me, if I can move us hop hop ahead for a moment, sure. Um, in chapter five, uh, Mordecai has said you need to to go before the king. She doesn't, well, I don't know who she gets, but I'm going to put it the way I think it is. She recognizes the need of a community. She said, if I'm going, we all going. I mean, I'm the one that's up front, but I need you all. She needs a village now. She's ready to identify, get get all my maidens, get everybody who feels like me, looks like me, understands me, can relate to me, because she realizes that she needs the force of that behind her. It's not going to be just her smelling good, her performing well, on a night with the king, she now needs uh, the, the whatever the press and the 
the you used the word leverage in an earlier session, but the power that comes from a community uh, and a corporate body. And on a spiritual level, because she's talking about everybody going to fast. I'm not, I mean, everybody turn your plate down, turn your cup over. And sometimes I think we have lost that and seen it as out of date. But there's a momentum that comes not just in corporate meetings, but a momentum that comes in a, a repentance and a confession and a, and a prayer move before God, a sacrificial move before God, uh, before any big steps. She was strategic. But her first strategy, once she agreed, was a spiritual one. But the point I want to get to, and I'll be brief, if I'm ever brief, uh, when you get to chapter five, when she goes to the king, she goes looking good. I mean, <laughs> Vastai refused. You used the term in our first session, what woman doesn't want to support herself. She, in a way, reminds us of Vastai because she comes and parades before the king. Before she opens her mouth, she had to have her physicality uh, soften his heart so he would extend the scepter and give her opportunity to come in. The very thing, and this is an extreme analogy, uh, that got Vastai booted out is what helped Esther to get in. So you can't <laughs> come down on a sister for using whatever she got to use because that's what she went in on is her best apparel, her best look. Uh, I don't remember what all she did, but after the fasting, so, you know, her skin was looking better because she fasted. She didn't have a lot of impurities. She was looking not bloated, you know, as thin as she can look in three days. I can't get to do much in three days. But in my Bible, her royal apparel, I mean, she had her best look on. She didn't go in there on her brain power alone. She didn't go in there on her politics alone. She didn't even go on her Jewish Hebrew, rather Hebrew heritage alone. She went on physicality. That was her first message coming in the doorway. And he said, what you got to say? Tell me what's on your mind, girl. Tell me what's on your mind. So, you know, this is a book that swings us. You know, we get down on the king for asking Vasta to come sport herself. I love her for saying no. But then my heroine decides I'm going to sport myself to get in the door. Mm -hmm. So it, it's marvelous. Yeah, she she leverages, you know, or she exploits his weakness, right? Or she exploits you know? her, her strength. That was the, or or you, that. You, if, the, if that's a strength. Now, I know that's upsetting some women to call that a strength, but she exploits what she has. Yeah, she and and we would certainly I wouldn't feel happy if, in many cases I would say you shouldn't be doing that you know yeah go, and I mean it's unfortunate marriage. because at that you know and it just I mean it just goes back to the objectifying of women right just the the world that we live in that women are are mostly seen primarily like their appearance, right? But she, she plays into it, Yana. Plays into it. That's what I'm okay. saying. And let, let's be plays honest, it. it's down the road. But when she wants to get the brothers, she cooks. She feeds, you know, that old adage about the way to his stomach is his belly, the way to his heart is his stomach or something like that. I'm like, give me something new here. Mm -hmm. Putting on my grandma's apron strings and TV's, you know, look again. So we almost can't put down women, I think, mm -hmm. or men. Uh, we, we have to be empathetic. We have to see. We don't have to agree, but we just have to 
see. I think that's all the scripture is asking us to do is see, not evaluate, because God works. And you talked about the overarching and this greater presence. He works. He works it out. You know, yeah, he does work it out. And that's one of the things that's really peculiar about this book is that like there is no mention of God. Right. You know, there's no mention of his action, but we clearly see him at work through through the, the comparing and contrasting of, yeah. of characters, right? We um, smell him. We smell God in the text. He, mm, he's, mm, you sniff him. He's in mm, the Roma is <laughs> all in there. All in there. And yeah. and it comes out with Mordecai and Haman um, and the the irony, right? Haman has this plot that he's going to kill Mordecai and all of the people of Israel. Um, and he's doing this because Mordecai doesn't show him the respect that he deserves. There we go with that ego, right? Um, uh, again, um, and right when he's plotting to kill Mordecai and erects, you know, this um, gallows. This gallows, right? For for him, that would be a noose in our time. A noose. That's what, I was gonna say that, but I was gonna try to use the. But yeah, no. so he 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 erects this thing for him. Um, but that same that same night that he does that, the king can't sleep, cannot sleep, and Ooh. asks for people. There it is. To there come it is right there. That same and- night. <laughs> you said same night. I, I, I felt it right there. Same night. That same Woo. night. He, he, he calls for his servant to read the historical record. And he reads to him the story of how Mordecai saves his life. And he's like, hey, did we ever do anything for that guy? And the servant is like, no, we didn't do anything for that guy. So Haman comes in the next day and the king who never knows how to make a decision on his own. Like this is his pattern. He says, hey, Haman. You know what? What do you think I should do for someone who essentially like saves the life of the king and has done like this great act? And Haman, thinking that you know <laughs> the king is is about to you know award him, just just says you know some sort of elaborate thing. You know, let him ride on the king's horse and you know parade him around the city and um and all of this, right? Um. And then he's like, yeah, let's do that for Mordecai, Haman, his whole face, (laughs) you know, just like drops to the ground. And he's the one who has to parade Mordecai uh, through the city and proclaim, you know, that uh, this is what was done for the man the king wants to honor. Like he has to cry this out in the city uh, about this man who would not bow to him. Right. And so we see the irony um, there and, and it's clear that God is at work. And what's funny is that Haman's friends can even see it. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, "Yo, you in trouble now? <laughs> like, it's it's done for you." You know, right. um, and and that leads to Esther telling the king about Haman's uh, attempt to kill her and to kill all of the Israelites. And then from there, Haman is is executed. Um, and so there. There's there's so much more that could be could be said about this book, and I know that we're going to get into this in a later episode. Um, but I really want to encourage our listeners to sit with this book uh, because I think if you read it, what you will find is protest, and what you will find is injustice. But then you will find a God who who works in and through people to bring about His ultimate good, um, and it's just so. Layered, and I know that for for many of us, this this past you know twenty twenty, 
you know, was rough for us. And we could be asking this question of like, yo, where is God? Like, where is God in the midst of all of this injustice that we are experiencing? Where is, where was God when the insurrection happened? You know, how is God possibly at work um, through these hardships? Um, And even though we might not be able to like see him, right? Um, We can trust that he is there like that he is there and he is working to bring about his his good. And Esther and Mordecai, they didn't know how God would do that, you know, but instead they were just continuing to avail themselves um, to the process, to uh, to seeking the good of of their people. And so, I don't know, do you have any cl- closing remarks? Um, well, I want to insert two things. They don't sound very conclusive, but at for as you're urging others to read, notice the king, who we have spoken negatively of, he's had others make his decisions. It is that that 1920s word, wishy-washiness, that ambivalence of the king that also makes it so he can swing to the other side. So we, we can't just pigeonhole him, but because he is so highly open to suggestion, the, the suggestion of honoring Mordecai is the same suggestiveness that we saw in chapter one. So um, I just want people to notice that we won't break that out. And also like to lift up uh, almost as a spiritual discipline, hospitality, hmm. um, the, the, the grace of, of serving it doesn't have to be food, but it is that that Esther uses. Not she, Well, she may use her initial physical appearance for him to extend favor to her, to share her what's on her heart. She uses a grace of hospitality, almost creating a table, as it were, uh, with her friend uh, or powerful player and with her enemy in the same same place. She has brought them uh, to the same table. And the importance of bringing uh, dipolar uh, entities to the same table and then knowing how to manage and negotiate that table. And lastly, when you said same night, there's always a word that catches me uh, in the same night that Jesus was betrayed. It mm-hmm. took me, it jettisoned me to the New Testament because the simultaneously at which evil and good works um, is, oh, wow, it just explodes in me. If you hadn't said same night, I would have been all right. But when you said same night, I went to church. Yes, I did. Because in that same, same night, you have both operating, and aren't we glad about it? Thank yes. you for letting me sit with you, Miss Yana. Same, same. Oh, Amen. I am loving this. I am loving this. I'm growing. Um, ah, man. I hope that others are growing um, too. Um, and so I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Um, right. We're going to be talking about uh, Jonah. Okay. Uh, who's a very complex uh, character in the Bible. So I hope that you all will join us uh, next time. Thank you for listening to Humble Hermeneutic, a Jew 3 Project podcast with Dr. Cynthia James and Yana Connor. Remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And also remember that you can become a monthly partner or a one-time giver of the Jude 3 Project at Jude3Project.org. Every gift helps equip and helps us produce more content like this.
In addition, if you would like to get merch, take an online course, or get our curriculum, you can do so at Jew3Project.org. Remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless.